Since I arrived in America, I have been hearing things like journalism is under fire. Now it seems that all people talk about is fake news and the rise of an American dictatorship. Yeah, outlets are publishing these fake news stories without fact-checking. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news has become a plague on the web. But as I look back to what I lived through in the Middle East, my professional opinion about all of this is, guys, really? I'll be honest, while I try to sound tough telling you guys that you don't even know what an authoritarian regime looks like, I realize one important thing. Freedom should never be taken for granted. And maybe compared to the journalism hellhole back in my region, you still have a long way to go before you reach the bottom. But it's up to a small group of people to make sure that the state of the media in America doesn't get any worse. Today's guest is Maria Inahosa. She's one of the many journalists here in America who try every day to deliver real news, to call out dishonest leaders, and to protect democracy. So the media and journalists who are not part of the mainstream, we have a really important duty to help tell the history of the United States of America that is not from a majority perspective. Maria has been telling other people's stories for her whole career. She's worked at NPR, CNN, PBS, CBS, WNBC. Oof. It's a very long, very impressive list of letters. Today, she's the anchor and executive producer of NPR's Latino USA and the co-founder of Futuro Media Group. Maria has given a voice to a lot of people who didn't have a voice of their own. She is going to tell us more about being a journalist of color and also about how she almost let her identity as a Mexican woman keep her from becoming the renowned public voice she is today. I'm Basim Youssef, and this is Remade in America, presented by CAFE. I'm a hungry vegan and a bad cook. I used to panic about how to eat every day, but not anymore, thanks to some basket. Now I can explore new flavors, cuisines, and ingredients every week. I get delicious recipes and organic produce delivered right to my door, all thanks to some basket. Go to somebasket.com slash remade today and get $35 off your first order. Now you get more options than ever. Just go to the Some Basket app and pick from 18 recipe options every week. You can eat vegan like me, or choose paleo, gluten-free, and many other options. See, I'm not that annoying vegan who will shame you for your food choices. At least, not out loud. Some Basket brings you fresh, organic food. There is something for every healthy journey and every busy life. Go to somebasket.com slash remade today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's somebasket.com slash remade for $35 off. Somebasket.com slash remade. Okay, back to Remade in America. Today, we're talking with journalist Maria Inahosa. So, it's true that Maria hosted her own NPR show and now owns her own media company. But before all that, Maria and her family came to the United States as immigrants from Mexico. She grew up in Chicago. Being Mexican was really cool. Even though sometimes I wish that I had blonde hair, blue eyes, and that my name was Susie. 
I think my parents did a really good job of inculcating in us how cool it was that we were Mexican and that we were able to go back to our homeland every year by car. So I, I think my parents played a really big role in allowing us to understand that as immigrants, we could be completely open with our arms wide open to our new country, but that our arms were also extended to the country that saw us be birthed. And, and that somehow that we were able to do both, that there wasn't really a, a, a deep and profound conflict that we could, in fact, be bicultural. Maria's parents gave her a great sense of who she was, but they had their own unique feelings about their new country. I think my mom, what she loves about this country is the ideals on which it stands, the values of a free press, you know, of freedom of speech, of freedom of religion, you know, freedom of assembly. My mom was just like, whoa, yeah, let's 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 be a part of change and modernity and looking forward and, and being open. I think my dad loved this country because of the um, opportunities that it gave him as a professional, as a medical doctor researcher. I think my dad was a little bit of a genius. He never let on. When we were around, he was actually very humble in that sense. But he was committed to his career as a research medical doctor devoted to understanding the inner ear, and he was part of a very, very large team of many scientists who helped to create the cochlear implant. He loved his job as a researcher, and it was because of his love of his profession that he left his country. I think that was probably, you know, one of the most difficult decisions that he ever had to make was to leave his country of birth. He didn't want to, but at the same time, he was that nerdy, geeky, scientist who wanted to look through a microscope all hours of the day. And that's what this country could afford to him. When Maria told me about her dad, it really hit home for me. I left home and I left everything behind, just like he did. But the only difference is that I didn't choose to do so. I got a phone call and was at the airport a few hours later, scared I would be arrested on my way out of the country. Maria's parents got to make a choice, but choosing to leave your home sounds just as scary to me as being run out of town. He was happy, but I think, as it is with uh, many immigrants, there was always a question of like, oh, was this the right decision? Should I have done this? And I think a lot of people kind of gloss over that. They think it's like, oh, you just left your country and you came to a new one. Oh, and it's like, no, that's a really deep, difficult decision for everyone. And we shouldn't take it lightly. People forget that there's a lot of issues on the immigrants who are leaving their homeland. It is not an easy decision. Maria got the journalism bug at an early age. You know, we consumed journalism in my home all of the time, all of the time. Um, the radio was on, the television was on, we were watching 60 Minutes, Meet the Press. Um, we were engaged, but there were never any stories about people who looked like us. And I was growing up with immigrants from, you know, from China, from India, from Japan. You know, you would look at the media and it would be as if people like us were just strangers and complete, literally, quote unquote, aliens in the United States. Well, we know that's not true because immigrants have always been a part of this. But in the national news narrative from the time when I was growing up in the 60s, 70s and 80s, it was like we were kind of just visitors. 
when you don't see yourself and you internalize the invisibility, it's actually really damaging. It's really damaging to your psyche. It's damaging to your emotional state. You feel less than. I was recently asked, who did you look up to as a journalist that, you know, that reminded you or told you that you could do it? And I looked at this person. I was like, there was nobody. I wasn't looking up to anybody because there was nobody. There were so few women and there were certainly no women of color. So I didn't have anybody to look up to. And still she did it. Maria decided to become a journalist and not just a regular journalist, but a trailblazer. You were the first Latina at NPR. And people hear that here and they go, whoa. I I hear that and I go, whoa. Well, that was 1985, the first Latina hired, actually hired at NPR editorial. And then in 1991, I became the first Latina correspondent at the network. Wow. And why you? Why were you the first Latina at NPR? Did you push the right buttons? Did you fight more? Were you in the right place in the right time? Well, to be honest with you, (laughs) you know, I actually, I got the job at NPR because I got an internship at NPR, which takes me back to when I was a senior at Barnard College and I was thinking about internships. And I didn't even want to apply to the internship at NPR because I thought I wasn't good enough. I myself had closed the doors because I was like, come on, I'll never get hired. I'm not white and I'm not a man. And that was pretty much what I was hearing coming out of NPR. So it was my career counselor who said, no, 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 you must apply. You have to apply. And it was because of that, somebody basically had to push me through the door. I was so believing of my own inferiority complex and I talk a lot about this with my students and my employees, my coworkers, that often, and actually Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor has said that one of the greatest forms of discrimination that we will suffer from as people of color is the discrimination that we bear down on ourselves to believe that we're not good enough. So I think it's important to tell that story. When she was still pretty new at NPR, one of Maria's editors made a casual comment about Mexicans that she remembers vividly to this day. What he was saying was that, you know, after the 1985 earthquake in Mexico and then there was an American Airlines plane that crashed and like 250 people were killed. And he was just like, wow, the suffering in Mexico, you know, I guess I can't imagine if that happened here in the United States, what would happen? Because I don't know, maybe the Mexican people are just used to the suffering. And that's when I stopped him. And I was like, "Okay, you need to stop saying those kinds of things. And he did not take it the wrong way. He was prepared to accept the critique. And that is something that I really value because when people make an observation or a critique about you, I think, uh, you know, we have to take it. And there's all kinds of unconscious bias. There's all kinds of racism and stereotypes and anti-gay, anti-black, anti-trans, anti-Muslim, anti-whatever sentiments that people are carrying with them because they are part of American society, which, if you consume the mainstream media, kind of lives and thrives in an, in, in stereotypes. I mean, my, my Mexican grandmother, who had never lived in New York, was afraid of black people in the Bronx. When mm. I moved here in 1979, I was like, abuelita, what are you afraid of? I es que lo veo en las películas. You know, I see it in the movies. 
So Hollywood um, has helped to create a narrative that is anti, you know, again, anti-black, anti-Mexican, anti-women, anti-Muslim, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we are all victims of that, Hollywood and the American news media in general. So we have to catch ourselves to not let ourselves caught up with that kind of thought. Maria's story about her editor saying that Mexicans are used to suffering reminds me of people saying that Arabs choose to be under a dictatorship. That's not how dictators work. They don't ask to be chosen. They dictate. It's right there in the word. They tell you that they are in charge with guns, sometimes with elections. But when someone wins an election with 100% of the vote, it's usually a sign that it was more dictation than election. And over time, the people themselves being under dictatorship for so long, they will blame themselves. They will tell you, we don't deserve democracy. We need a strong man to tell us what to do. Everyone becomes a line worker, and nobody is rewarded for independent thought. On that note, it's time to take a little break. Since I'm a rookie and Marie is a pro, I ask her to help me smoothly transition into the ad in the middle of my show. People in the biz call this the mid-roll. So I'm just getting the hang of this podcasting thing, and I like the way you close the first half of your show before the ads, the mid-roll. Can you do it for this episode? Stay with us. No te, no te vayas. Yes. Okay, again. No te vayas. Yes. Please stay with us. No te vayas. <laughs> Hiring the right person is like making any kind of choice. Picking the best outfit from your closet, the best route through traffic, or the best date on Tinder. Mistakes are not fatal, but they sure are annoying. ZipRecruiter built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you so you don't have to make mistakes. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash remade. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash remade. You know, if I had used ZipRecruiter to hire my producers, this ad would have been much funnier. ZipRecruiter.com slash remade. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I've been sleeping on my new Casper mattress for a week now. It's been so comfortable, so good. I've got to tell you, I almost didn't make it to the studio this morning. Support for Remade in America comes from Casper. It's a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience, one night at a time. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Casper offers free shipping in the U.S. and Canada. And if you aren't completely satisfied, Casper makes it easy to return your mattress at no charge and no hassle. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash remade and using promo code remade at checkout. That's casper.com slash remade and promo code remade for $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, welcome back to Remade in America, presented by CAFE. We went into the ad break with Maria's signature mid-show sign-off, No Tivias. 
She told me afterwards that she actually gets a lot of comments about this. Luckily, the tape was still rolling. <laughs> you know what's so funny is like people love that phrase, and they've I, I've actually gotten emails of or you know I I don't know if it was on Twitter somebody was saying look we get the subliminal messaging that you're coming through with Note Vayas and I was like sublim subliminal messaging he was like you're telling us all to stay in this country and not leave and I was like <laughs> I was like well okay if you say so well I can tell you one thing if I started to say phrases in Arabic throughout the show those subliminal messages would get the attention of the FBI I think I will stick to English and Spanish for this episode at least Being a journalist of color matters to Maria. She explained to me how she sees her work fitting into a larger effort, one that started long before her time. When African-American journalists wanted to do straight news stories in their local newspapers about a lynching, they were told that they were un-American journalists mm. because they wanted to report on this. They were told that they were journalists that had an agenda. And... When I learned that, that was a really big turning point because part of what this country has to understand is that journalists of color and of conscience have been a part of the historical narrative of this country since forever. One of my idols is Frederick Douglass. You know, he was born into slavery and became the first freed uh, former slave to um, become a publisher of a newspaper uh, and, a, and a journalist. So... The media and journalists who are not part of the mainstream, we have a really important duty to help tell the history of the United States of America that is not from a majority perspective. So I, you know, in the days when it gets tough, I just realize that, you know, what I'm doing now is part of the historical record. And it means so much to me to keep doing it because of the historical responsibility that I have. When I was reporting reality back in Egypt, when I was criticizing the government for being violent and the media for lying to protect people in power, I was called unpatriotic. I asked Maria if she's ever been called a traitor. I think I'm lucky enough that that has never happened. Very directly and specifically the way you're kind of laying it out. I think that people have criticized me on social media. And I actually think it's part of my job to listen to all sides to listen to the critique, in fact, to be prepared to accept a critique. But where, where there's a line for me that I, that's, if someone crosses, then the conversation kind of ends, is whenever it gets to be insulting or um, outwardly racist or anti-Semitic. Other than that, if you want to criticize me, I'm happy to have a conversation with you, even on social media, because I think that that's part of the core of who we are as Americans. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to embrace our democracy, and that means being able to speak our minds and share our thoughts. But it's hard to embrace anything when you get berated for doing your job. I asked Maria how bad it gets. Uh, you know, I mean, when people will say things like, go back to your country, or, you know, or they will call me an illegal, which is a word that I don't use. You know, I, I never use the term illegal to refer to a human being. They will say, you know, they may insult me because I'm a woman um, and say that I'm dumb or, or that I'm too emotional. I wonder what the trigger is for people like that. What sets them off? Sometimes, Maria says, it can be something really simple. Well, I actually think that, um, I think sometimes just when people hear my name, 
that's enough to rile them up, which is kind of crazy. You know, when I say my name on the air, my name is in Spanish. My name is Maria Hinojosa. Um, by the way, I can say Maria Hinojosa. That's fine, too. But, you know, if I'm defining myself um, on the air, I'm Maria Hinojosa. And that in and of itself for some people is uh, a deal breaker. You know, why is she saying her name in Spanish? Maria says her name in Spanish, Maria Hinojosa. So you must all be wondering why I call myself Basim Yusuf and don't pronounce my name the Arabic way. Trick question, that is the Arabic way. I just have an easy name to say, Basim Yusuf. Basim Yusuf. Basim Yusuf. Sound just like it's spelled. But I have noticed that people in America don't like to call me Basim. Instead, they prefer a more ethnic take, Bossim, like Possum or Awesome. At one point, someone suggested that we call this podcast Awesome Bossum. And I was thinking, guys, that's not even how you say my name. This is my podcast, and nobody knows how to say my name. But, you know, you just don't correct people in those moments. You just don't want to be that guy. You don't want to remind everyone that you're such an outsider, so different from them, that they can't even say your name right. And these are the people who are trying, the people who think they are saying it the ethnic way. So for the rest of the show, I'm going to try my hardest to call Maria, Maria. I'm still learning to pronounce Maria's last name with the right accent. This year, I will perfect English. Next year, Spanish, Cantonese. I'm coming for you in 2020. Now let's get back to the interview and hear Maria's take on what newsroom looked like three decades after she got her start. So 30 years later, after you got hired and became the first a Latina woman in NPR, the newsroom diversity problem has been solved, correct? No, far from it. In fact, um, most newsrooms now are less diverse than they were before 9-11. Mm. And that's, that's kind of a terrible point of data, but it's true. So there was more diversity in our newsrooms before September 11th. So what have you done like to... Well, what, what I did is that I formed my own nonprofit media company. I'm the only Latina that runs a nonprofit media company in the United States dedicated to journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my goals was to create a super diverse newsroom. So that's what we've done. One of our pillars of my nonprofit media company is diversity. And I would say that that's probably why we've done so well in terms of our audience numbers going up and in terms of the awards that we've won. We just won a Peabody and a Robert F. Kennedy Award and a special honoree mention from the Webbies. So um, I think it's because of our diversity that is very strategic, very thought out. Um, I think that's the reason why this media company and our and our journalism is having so much success. Maria tries not to use words like minority or illegal to describe a person of color. I had the feeling she was borderline offended when she heard people use those words. Well, I don't want to be offended because I think that um, it's, you know, I I need people to catch up with me. Um, I've been thinking about these issues for a very long time, and I don't expect everybody to kind of be right there. But yes, I don't like the term minority. I have never told my children that they are members of a minority group. So I've, I just feel like I, I've never wanted to look at myself as less than. And if you have a minority, that means you have a majority. And we all know that the majority Anglo population will soon be the numerical minority. 
So I just think it's important for us to kind of throw out these terms and restart because I don't think anybody wants to be seen as a minority in the United States of America. We don't use the term illegal as an illegal immigrant or the illegal, you know, an illegal person or the illegals. Um, you know, and I learned this from Elie Wiesel, who survived the Holocaust. He said, you know, the first thing the Nazis did was to declare the Jews to be an illegal people. Mm. And so, you know, in the naming of immigrants as illegal, it's instantly dehumanizing. Elie Wiesel was a smart guy. And the word illegal? It's a particularly insidious slur. It sounds harmless, like a boring legal term. Hell, it even has the word legal in it. But it's basically just a way to say, my family moved here first. It's a way to tell someone they are an outsider. And that's our conversation with Maria Inahosa. And from the looks on my producer's face, I still have some work to do before I pronounce Inahosa right. You know, I learned a few things from Maria today. From now on, I'm not going to use the word minority to describe people who aren't white. And I'm definitely going to come up with a catchy phrase to say before the midroll ads. But what I'm going to remember most from today's conversation is that Maria used to think she wasn't good enough for NPR just because she wasn't a white man. If you have a dream that you think is impossible because of your race or gender or anything, think again, or at least call me and tell me about it. Whatever it is, I want to hear your story. 785-4-BASIM. Leave me a message, tell me a story, ask me a question, and maybe you'll end up on the show. Here is a voicemail we received from Malika. Much like Maria, who doesn't use the words illegal or minority, Malika takes issue with a word as well, one that I use a lot on this podcast, outsider. I don't like that word because I don't see it as a negative thing. I came from a culture and I mix it with this culture and I never feel I am below these people. I always feel that we are very equal. Outsiders succeed in these countries and they are successful as you, for example. Well, the thing is, like, I'm using the word outsider because you could be an outsider of a community, not necessarily in America. You could be an outsider everywhere. I was in my own country and I felt like an outsider because I had views that did not go with the mainstream sometimes. So being an outsider, I don't use it in a negative way. As a matter of fact, I think anybody who achieved some success in their lives, I think they had to go through a lot of hurdles, a lot of obstacles. I mean, Walt Disney is a great example. He was considered as someone who's who had no talent. Einstein was considered as someone who was stupid. They were considered outsider and they became successful. So being an outsider doesn't necessarily have to be negative. Thanks for the call, Malika. If you have an outsider story or a question for me or want to suggest a topic that we cover on the show, tweet at me or call me at 785-4-BASIN. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every good review makes it easier for new listeners to find this show. And that makes it easier to convince my wife that this podcast is a real job. Remade in America is presented by Cafe and produced by Neon Hum Media. Our show producer is Vikram Patel. Editorial support from Ashley Click. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our theme song is by Beethoven Music. 
and special thanks to Jeff Eisenman and Brian Carmel. Next week on Remade in America. And now it's almost like passe, the idea of marriage equality. We forget. We like just fought for that. We just got that. I'm married. I, I couldn't have been married a decade ago. I'm Basim Yusuf. Talk to you soon.